Hi everyone, welcome back to the Midwife in My Pocket podcast. As always, I am your host Zoe and welcome back to episode 9. This is going to be the second last episode of the season, so season 1. I'll be taking a couple of weeks off once we get past season 10. Um, So it'll be obviously this episode, another episode and then a quick little break um, just so I can get into planning content for the next season and give you guys the best Um, chance to education as possible so I will be missing you guys over the break but I think you know it'll be nice to take a little bit of time off and actually focus on the Instagram again which is severely lacking particularly since I've um, re-entered or re-entered especially since I've gone back to doing shift work and um, re-immersing myself in that in midwifery and doing that full time so yeah, I hope you guys have enjoyed the podcast thus far. I promise you I will be back just taking a quick little break in two episodes time. So today I am doing an episode on, you know, being a student and things that I wish I knew when I was a student because recently I've been getting a lot of messages from student nurses and student midwives asking me how I, I guess, coped with studying, work-life balance, that sort of thing, um, and how to apply for jobs, etc. Because at the moment in Australia, a lot of our student nurses are going through, um, it's obviously nearing the end of the year, so assignments are stacking up, exams are coming up, um, recruitment opportunities are presenting themselves for grads. So, um, you know, lots of interviews, lots of applications and lots of stress. <laughs> I remember that time all too vividly. And I do feel for all of you guys, um, particularly now with COVID in the mix. And it's just been a really hard time to navigate. Even I've been feeling for you guys because I've had a few students that have had to cancel placements because of COVID or that haven't been able to have the opportunities that they would have liked because of COVID and the rules. So I really do feel for you all. Um, Hang in there. You're so close to the end now. Um, And I hope that this podcast helps you in one way or another. I've been getting heaps of messages from students in the last month. Um, So I thought it was well and truly time to do a dedicated podcast for you guys. And hopefully give you a bit of a helping hand through those last final bits and pieces of your degree and as you launch headfirst into a career. So I guess I'll talk a little bit about my background as a student. Um, My experience was a little bit different. So I obviously did two degrees. So I did my nursing first and then I took a year off. I did a year of working and then I went into doing my um, postgraduate studies in midwifery. So I think what I'll do is I'll just refer to myself as a student nurse because I feel like um, postgraduate was a completely different ball game and I don't want people to get confused when I say that I did my postgrad. Like it's just going to be a bit of a dick around really. So I think I'll just talk about things that I wish I learnt as a student nurse because that was the time that I really struggled to navigate. Um, The postgraduate degree, don't get me wrong, was incredibly hard, particularly with births and continuities of care, um, you know, all of that sort of thing being on call. But I won't talk about that today just because I think it's going to yeah murky the waters a bit. So we'll talk about my life as a student nurse and my experiences and the things I wish I learned now. I'll also talk about, um, I guess, what your preceptors expect of you because now that I've graduated and I've been working as a registered nurse now for four years, I've worked with heaps of students and I know exactly what you know, the university expects of you. I know exactly what the hospital expects of you. And I guess I'll sort of just give you guys a few hints and um, tips and tricks on how to really impress your preceptor and build a relationship with them. But I guess we'll start at the start. So I graduated school, um, graduated grade 12, and I went straight from school into university. So it was a really tricky transition to sort of wrap your head around because School, school, right? It, you know, I stress myself out over it 
at the time, but I realized it really wasn't as big of a deal as I made it out to be. <laughs> um, but going from not overly studying much with school to suddenly being thrust into a world where you had to study to get good grades and you had to attend classes or you had to, you know, it was just a completely different ball game. And a lot of people were like, oh, you know, you'll find university so easy because you went from doing, you know, school straight away. So I think that sort of threw me off a lot when I started was trying to wrap my head around the work-life balance um, as well as trying to, I don't know, navigate a career that I couldn't really imagine myself as. So I didn't always know that nursing was going to be for me until I started working in aged care just after school. So I finished school, um, I think it was in November, and then I went straight out and got a job. Um, and I got a job as an assistant nurse in an aged care home, which was a really good experience for me. It opened my eyes up to the world of nursing and, you know, what to expect. I think aged care was the hard is or is the hardest version of nursing that there is. And it was really difficult for me to picture myself as a nurse because I only associated it with the difficulties of aged care, if that makes sense. So aged care for me was a specialty that I wasn't really going to be in long term. I loved it and I enjoyed it, but it wasn't something that I, it wasn't the be all end all for me. It wasn't my end game. And unfortunately, when you go straight from school into the, like, you know, quotation marks, the real world, um, I thought that was it. So I struggled a lot throughout the first year or so of my degree because I couldn't associate nursing with anything else. And then I did my first placement in oncology. And again, a really hard specialty, a really difficult place, um, to sort of to learn like you know first and foremost it's a lot to wrap your head around with the I guess nursing knowledge and the education and that sort of thing like it's a hard specialty and it's really taxing work it's very um, emotionally exhausting work so it wasn't really for me and again I couldn't really picture myself nursing because I was in fields that I didn't wholeheartedly enjoy And whilst I enjoyed the, you know, empathetic, caring aspect of it, I didn't actually enjoy the nursing side of it. So it was really, really difficult um, that first year trying to immerse myself in study for something that I didn't know was for me. And then fast forward, I think I can't even remember the placements that I did, but the more and more I would progress with my placements, the more and more I would feel you know, empowered to study and that I would want to be actively involved in the education side of my degree because the placements were getting better. I was starting to understand more. It just all of a sudden was starting to click for me. And then came third year. (laughs) So I have never been an academically inclined person. Um, Throughout my schooling, I was always just sort of striving for the best. I would work really, really hard Um, and even then sometimes I was only getting like B's or C's or whatever. And I say only, um, but for me, it was really, really hard. Like I had to apply myself really full on, um, to get the grades that I wanted or get the grades that I needed to go to university. And if that's my first tip for anyone who's in school, um, and who finds themselves just busting their asses trying to get the best grades, it would be not to. Um, obviously work hard, obviously pass your subjects, do whatever you need to, to pass, but don't be pushing yourself to go over the line when you don't need to. And I know that schools like to put a lot of pressure on you saying that, you know, you need the best grades to get into university or you need the best grades to get into a trade, whatever it may be. And whilst that is true, it is not the be all end all. So to put it into perspective for you, I... Um, hearing impaired. So I've been hearing impaired since I was seven. Um, I've worn hearing aids since I was seven. And I found it really hard to do things like focus in a classroom because 
you know, I couldn't fucking hear. <laughs> um, and I found it really hard to retain information because I couldn't hear it. I was missing bits and pieces that were important. And I was basically my brain was working overtime because I was lip reading. I was trying to piece together bits that I missed or I was focusing really, really hard on you know, the content, but nothing was being retained because I was focusing too hard on listening, if that makes sense. So it was a really hard time for me um, to get good grades and to be able to excel. I had to work really bloody hard because I was basically playing catch up and I was trying to keep myself ahead of the curve in a way. Um, So I did a lot of you know, after school studies or whatever it may be, um, tutoring I did a lot of. I was great with my English and reading and all of that sort of thing, but maths was always that thing that I struggled with. No matter how hard I tried, I could never get a grasp on it. Even now, I still find it really difficult. Um, and I would just, yeah, I don't do math at all. Um, so that was really difficult. And because of my impairment, I wasn't able to do maths at a, I guess, the level that you would require to get accepted into university. So back then in 2017, oh, 2017, 2014, um, the OP system was around. So basically what it was is you would get graded from zero to 100. Um, one was obviously the highest score that you could get. So if you had an OP one, you were smart shit you were ducks of the school, that sort of vibe. Really, really clever. 100, you were a dumbass. Um, So I couldn't apply for an OP or I wouldn't be eligible to get an OP rank because I didn't study OP eligible subjects. So think of things like your maths uh, or like maths A, maths B, maths C, um, and then English, like senior English, legal studies, you know, all of that sort of shit, chemistry. um, Oh, I can't even think off the top of my head. All of those really smart kids subjects. um, Those were the ones that you had to do to get a score. And unfortunately I did. So I think it was like you had to do six subjects at the time from memory and either all six of them had to be OP eligible or five of them had to be OP eligible. So you could only do one that wasn't. But the catch is to be considered for an OP, you had to do senior English or maths A, B or C. If you didn't do either of those, you were automatically not eligible for an OP ranking. So, of course, I started from the bottom with maths. I started at a maths A level. Oh, actually, I think, no, I think I started maths B, realized it was way too fucking hard. I had no idea what any of it meant. I didn't even give it a crack. And then I went down to maths A. Now, maths A was considerably easier than maths B, but I really struggled. And it was just something that I could not get a grasp on. I tried tutoring for months. I tried after school, you know, programs or whatever it was to try and wrap my head around this maths and try and at least just do a year of it so I could get what I needed to and then go to university. But it didn't work like that. I had really bad mental health at the time. I was working myself to the bone. I wasn't enjoying school. And my parents actually said like, you know, this isn't worth it. I think you should move into the maths level below and do pre-vocational maths, even though that means you might not be eligible for an OP, surely there are other ways to get into university. So we looked into it and long story short, we basically found out I could do a different pathway, which is where I would you know, still do all of my OP ranked subjects and still do the QCS test you know, at the end of the year. Um, but do all of that without maths basically. And that was what I ended up doing. And I still got into university. I got accepted straight away. Um, so basically I applied to do 
nursing and midwifery first and foremost. And then after that, I applied to do nursing just on its own. So these were my preferences, sorry. So I had nursing and midwifery at the top, um, nursing second, and then something like journalism or teaching as my third preference. And I got accepted straight away into nursing. So, um, and then I think I was two weeks into my nursing and I got a call from the head of midwifery saying that, you know, they had a lot of dropouts and there were spots available if I wanted to transition from doing nursing into midwifery. At the time I said no, because yeah, I'm not going to get into that. Anyway, I got accepted into university for nursing, which is what I what the whole aim of that story was (laughs) is to let you guys know that if you are in school please do not bust your asses trying to get the best grades because there is always an alternate pathway the school probably won't tell you about it because they like to have like basically it's making the school look good right if they have 50 kids that all get an op between one and ten that looks really good on them. So they are able to market that and say to parents with kids that are coming through the next generations, be like, hey, in this year we had 50 kids and this year we had 200, whatever the case may be. Um, So it looks better on their behalf, right? So they won't necessarily tell you all of the alternate pathways because they're trying to push as many people as they can through this one specific pathway so it makes them look better as a collective and I understood that firsthand because I was one of those kids in that environment where it was like you know oh we don't want you to go into you know a non-OP ranking class or we don't want you to go via a non-OP ranking pathway because that doesn't suit us so yeah that was the issue at the time which I then realized also kind of follows on into university so I was one of those kids in uni that only ever really passed subjects Assignments weren't my strong suit. I couldn't do them for the life of me, but exams were my jam. Like for some reason, I just did so much better at exams than I did assignments. And if I, I would always, I would always fail assignments. So I would get my assignments back and they would be like just borderline fail or borderline pass. So that meant for exams to boost my mark, I would have to get some ridiculous number like 90 out of 100 questions right to be able to just pass the subject. And lo and behold, I did it. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, it was always a struggle for me to get through assignments, but exams were great for me. Um, So I used that to my advantage as much as I could. And then... Yeah, so I basically got through my nursing with a GPA of 4.5. So obviously the the theory side of it, shit, I couldn't do it to save my life. But the clinical side was my bread and butter. I absolutely loved going on placements. I loved being able to immerse myself in the clinical role. Even though I didn't fully understand it, I loved nursing so I loved being able to be with people in the most vulnerable time of their lives I loved being able to help them through and actually make a difference and I loved the rewarding aspect of it so there was just something about nursing that you know I might not have been the best at it academically but I knew clinically it was the shit and I was the shit at it like I was very very good at it and I knew that that would be my saving grace so By the time I got to my final year, I just remember being in my final six-week placement and having a huge breakdown because it was like, well, fuck. Like, I've done three years of my degree. I feel like I've learnt something, but not nearly enough to be independent and going out there and saving people's lives and whatever it may be. Like, I did not feel good enough at the time. And in my final six-week placement... It's so hard to describe, but something somewhere just clicked. In my head, it was like one day I woke up and my hands were doing the skills before my brain could even understand that I was doing them, if that makes sense. Like, and it's really hard because I say this to students all the time because they come to me, particularly on placement, especially if they're in the final, like, you know, their last six week placement or they're nearing the end. They're like, oh, you know, 
I feel like I know nothing. I don't know what I'm doing. Um, you know, I'm basically stumbling my way through. And it's like, well, honestly, it will all just click at some point. I know that's like really shitty to say, but it will just fall into place. And that's what I sort of want to talk about today um, is understanding that university isn't about, you know, getting the best grades or it's not about, you know, being academically talented. (laughs) I mean, don't get me wrong, it is a big part of it. But at the end of the day, if you can be a kind person, if you can learn your clinical skills and understand clinical pathways, if you know how to care for someone, if you know how to be empathetic, if you know how to be kind, if you know how to be safe in the nursing environment, that speaks much more volumes to an employer than a GPA of seven will, if that makes sense. And that's what I sort of want you guys to understand is that, again, universities will try and push you for the best GPA because that looks better on them. At the end of the day, they don't really care if you know, your clinical skills are cool. They want to get the best GPAs and they want you to secure a job afterwards so that it looks better for them statistically. And that's why I think a lot of undue pressure is put on students now because they're told that if their GPA isn't six or higher or if it isn't five or higher or whatever the case may be, they have no chance at getting a job. And that is just bullshit because I got a GPA of 4.5 And look at me now. (laughs) I don't want to blow wind up my ass, but I'm basically here like, (sighs) I have a job. (laughs) I have a career and I'm quite good at it. And I did that off a GPA of (laughs) 4.5. So, yeah, I think that I think when the uni says to you, you know, you can only get an OP of six or higher if you want to excel in life, you can call bullshit because I'm a living example of that. (laughs) But yeah, again, pressure. There's so much pressure from so many different places as a student, Um, particularly now we've just added another bloody pressure into the mix, which is COVID. Um, So I can imagine how difficult it is to navigate. And I remember like how difficult it was for me to navigate, let alone throwing COVID into the mix and all of these different restrictions. So I really, really feel for you. Absolutely. Um, I guess I'll talk about like studying. Um, There's no real linear way to do it. Everyone's study life looks a little bit different. I frothed palm cards (laughs) and I still do. But I think at the end of the day, it's all about finding something that works best for you. I had some friends that used to study the night before their exams and do incredibly well. I had friends that would study for months prior to exams and do really well. Um, I was one of those people that liked to take at least three weeks before my exam to study. And by study, I mean immerse myself into it. So if I knew exams were coming up, I would try and take annual leave. Um, I would try and do whatever I could Um, to basically free up my time so I could devote it to study. And I know not everyone's lucky enough to be in that position. Again, I went straight from school into uni and I was really, really lucky. Um, I lived on college at the time or throughout most of my degree. I, um, so I was able to fully immerse myself into my studies. I didn't have a job. Um, the only job I had was back in Bowen, which was two hours away that I would do on school on university holidays um, but I would never work throughout the semester because again that was my time to learn and it was my time to devote myself to my career basically or my degree Um, so if you're in a position where you are able to take time off highly recommend doing that just so that you can fully devote your time to studying and again doesn't always work for anyone I think I'll just go through what works for me and then you can decide later if like oh you know that was shit or that was good whatever um a couple of resources that I found really saved my ass throughout university um there was a YouTube channel actually called Khan Academy so that's K-H-A-N 
and they have some bomb YouTube videos explaining clinical um, clinical shit. Like, I think it was biomed at the time. It was one of those really difficult subjects that was really like big on pharmacology or chemistry type of vibes and biology. And obviously I never did any of that shit in school. So I found it really hard to wrap my head around those sort of concepts and how they would relate to healthcare and Khan Academy really helped me with that. Um, So highly recommend that. It's a free channel on YouTube that you can look up and they have so many really interesting, really engaging videos, which helped me understand It was, I mean, the basics, but it also helped when it came to applying that to a real world sense and honestly saved my life. (laughs) I don't think I ever would have passed biology in nursing without Khan Academy. So highly recommend. The other program I think is called, fuck, I think it's like Quizify or something. Oh, don't quote me. I'll try and find it. But basically, it's this place where people upload palm cards. And if you're lucky, if you're very lucky, a lot of people, a lot of the smart kids in my uni degree did this. And they would put their notes on public so everyone could see them, which I don't think they knew they were doing. Because I was in a really competitive nursing cohort. Like, it was cutthroat, dude. Like, people would not want to help you unless you basically paid for it like it was insane um so when you found something like notes online or whatever it was the bomb because like it was just like oh you know you dickhead you're smart but you're not smart enough to turn your notes on private shame so anyway yeah I think it's called quizify or something I'll look it up and I'll add it to the show notes but basically it's where you can upload notes and you can upload palm cards and definitions and stuff like that and if you actually type in the subject code of your degree or of your um the certain subject that you're studying, it will come up with all of these different notes that people have uploaded from like past years or from your cohort even. And you're able to use those notes to your advantage, basically. So highly recommend that. (laughs) It felt like cheating at the time, but it was a really good tool um, that I highly recommend to anyone who struggles trying to get their notes kickstarted. So The way I would study was I would go through my um, subject from week one to 13 or 14 or whatever it was at the time and I would literally write down everything or I would listen to lectures like they were podcasts. So I think they, so it was a recording at the time and I would literally just pop them on my laptop or pop them on my phone and listen to them while I was doing housework or um, you know, whatever I was doing, I would put the lectures on in the background and pause it or slow it down so I could write notes at the same time. And that was really, um, really beneficial to my study because again, being hearing impaired, you don't pick up on a lot of stuff when you're in the lectures. Um, so that helped me a lot. Um, and I wasn't one of those people that went to the lectures either, BT dubs, <laughs> just going to put that out there. Lectures were my nemesis. I hated them. So I would honestly probably not ever go to them. I would watch them online like they were podcasts. (laughs) Handy little tip there if you want a sneaky little sleep in. Eight o'clock on a Monday morning. (laughs) Yeah, tip one. So yeah, that's what I found really helped me. In terms of work-life balance... It was really hard, particularly around exam time. But I find that if you take time to really break up your schedule. So like I said, I took time off to devote time to my studies. So I would take one to two weeks of annual leave. And in that annual leave, I would purely just be studying. But I found that my brain could only solely focus on something for a period of time before I got distracted. So what I did was I actually sat in front of my laptop or sat myself down. So I'd wake up, do my little routine, have a shower, get ready for the day, eat some brekkie and then be like, right, I'm fed, I'm showered, I'm watered. (laughs) Let's sit down and do this. I would turn my phone on, do not disturb. And I would time myself from the moment I started studying 
to the point where I couldn't do it anymore to the point where I was getting distracted where I was wishing I was doing something else or I would be like really hyper focused and then you know I would look at the time and be like oh fuck could do with a walk or could do with a quick little movie just to you know do something different so what I would do is I would time how long that period was from the moment I was really focused to the moment I decided to become distracted and what I would do then is I would stop so that usually was about four it depended on the day so sometimes I would do continuous study for maybe 40 minutes to an hour some days it would be two hours where I just did pure study and where I really retained information and then my brain would literally just go (laughs) see ya and then that would be the it like that would be the end because I'd be distracted I'd be sitting on my phone playing games and shit because I would be procrastinating so I timed myself and I would find my sweet spot right so usually What I would do is I would say to myself, okay, we're going to sit and we're going to study for an hour and then we're going to do something different. So whether that be going for a drive to getting to get some coffee, um, going for a walk, watching Netflix, whatever. And I could do that guilt free because I had just done a really solid period of time of study. So my in my mind, I was like, cool, like. I've actually done something beneficial and I've done something that will actually make a difference where I can actually retain information. And before I get to that point of no return where I'm scrolling endlessly on my phone for, you know, X amount of time, I'm able to do something proactive and say, right, let's go for a walk. Let's do whatever. And then we'll come back, do another period of time where I do study and usually that second period will be shorter than the first so I found that if I did say the first period would be two hours I would go for a break for however long I feel like I felt like I needed and then I'd be like right let's try one hour and then I would be hyper focused on my studies I'd get to the hour and be like right let's have lunch let's you know do pilates for a bit let's go to the gym for a bit whatever it may have been And then I would come back for my third session and be like, right, I've had a quite, you know, quite a productive day. Let's just finish off with some recap or let's do maybe 20 minutes worth of just rereading everything of maybe watching a video about something that will benefit, that will still, you know, progress my studies rather than starting from scratch and writing notes or doing whatever it may have been, um, because, you know, you're, you're nearing the end of the day. You're not going to retain any more information if you're constantly working your brain. And what I found that worked really well for me in my postgrad particularly. Um, my undergrad, it was a little bit different because my sleeping schedule was fucked. <laughs> um, and obviously, I worked a lot better at night than I did during the day. But when I did my postgrad, I actually retrained my body to being a daytime person (laughs) because I found that if I could actually do things within the day I would be able to sleep better at night and be in a better headspace for my studies so that was one thing I struggled with in my undergrad was because I was you know staying up until 4 or 5 a.m um and trying to jam pack as much as I could And then going to sleep during the day and it was just, it was a mess of a time. Like I really was not in a good way, but I highly recommend that if you are an undergrad student and you do find that you're using that late night period to study, if that works for you and you feel good doing it, great, but that's not really sustainable and you will get into a really big shock because most of your exams are during the day. (laughs) And most of them are in the mornings. So not only are you setting yourself up for failure in that way, because you're going to be tired, you're going to be stressed because you're tired and you're going to be focused on so on how fatigued you are rather than actually being focused on the information that you've just studied. So try and flip your routine as much as you can. It will suck for the first couple of days, but I promise you it will be the best thing for your studies once you get into the exam room and, you know, you're trying to remember shit. Um, Other little tips I found 
with writing notes. I know this is such an it girl thing, but actually getting like pens that you like to use and highlighters and different colored paper and shit because it puts you in the headspace, right? It's like buying gym gear for a workout. Like it's just going to make you much more motivated to study. It's going to make you have you feeling good and have you feeling a little bit interested in what you're doing because everyone likes writing with a nice pen. Um, and everyone likes highlighters. So it'll actually trick your brain into thinking it's fun. (laughs) So highly recommend that if you get into a bit of a stale spot with your study, go out and buy some cute little stationary pens or paper and stuff like that. It will make a world of difference. Um, also highly recommend switching up your study environment. So if you are staying in the same place, every single time to study you're going to get bored your mind is just going to be like fuck this I've had enough basically so what I found really helped I lived in a tiny little college room at the time but I would find these little spots that really helped I guess keep myself motivated and keep myself engaged so most of them would be outside just with some fresh air and you don't have to do a whole shebang where you take your laptop your books your study notes what I would do is I would do most of the study like the bulk of my note writing and everything inside and then I would take those notes and go and lay on you know take a towel or whatever and lay on the ground outside get some sun and actually read through my notes to remember them and then I would go back inside and you know continue Or I would go to the library. And what I loved about the library is that when I was there, I would do something little for myself to keep me motivated. So at the library in Townsville, um, they had like a coffee cart and stuff like that. Or they had um, like food and stuff. So as a little break and as a little treat, I would stroll down and get some food, get some um, coffee, get some snacks. And that way I would be a lot more engaged in my study because I've had a break and I've used that time to, you know, do something nice while I'm out. Um, And yeah, switched it up a little bit. So those are really good tips to, I guess, studying to your fullest potential. And again, a full eight hours sleep at night is not going to go unappreciated. So I would stop studying at a point in the night, I think I said it was about six o'clock was when I would stop because I'd probably been going for like my usual wake up time when I was a student was maybe eight o'clock. So I would study pretty continuously from eight until six doing my little routine. And then I'll be like, right, the nighttime is the only time that I get to just not focus on university at all, because I feel If you are focusing the whole time on your exams or you're focusing the whole time on uni or your studies, you're going to hate it by the end of it. And you're just going to be so exhausted and feeling so guilty that you're not going to actually be able to enjoy your life at all. So (laughs) that was the time where I would say to my friends like, hey, do you girls want to go and get some ice cream? Do you want to go for dinner? Um, Do you want to do something so that, you know, we can take our minds off studying for a bit? And that was the time when I would see my friends, I would see my family, I'd see my partner, whatever it may be, because I had been guilt-free basically because I'd been slogging my ass from eight till six and it was the one time I could actually unwind and get ready for the next day of study. So highly recommend doing that. And yeah, everyone has a different routine and it is really hard to find when you are an undergrad particularly, but trust me, good study habits will pay off and you'll go into your exams feeling so much better and so much more in control because you've actually looked after yourself and you've actually made time to, you know, enjoy your life a little bit as well as hate your life by studying. (laughs) But yeah, I hope that helps you guys. Um, With time management as a nurse so I think actually what I'll do is I'll talk about placements because that's a really big component that can be really tricky to get into a routine with Um, the lucky thing about placements usually is no night shifts so um, if you are doing a placement around exam or assignment period I really feel for you but one thing I think is really important 
is that you use placement for placement time and you use your study period for study. So I know with assignments and I know with university, like they love to put assignments in the middle of placement blocks, which is shit on their behalf. Like they should not be doing that. But unfortunately, that's the reality. So if you happen to be doing placement and you do have an exam or an assignment during your time, what I would recommend is you go to your shift, right? So go to your shift, work it, do whatever you need to. And then when you finish, come home, have a shower, unwind for a little bit, do your fun things like go walk the dog, go read a book, whatever you need to do to take your mind off the day, to debrief, whatever. If you've had a stressful shift, fuck your assignments. They can wait (laughs) because no one has time for that. Another thing I want to talk about um, in relation to, I guess, placements and having a heavy shift or having a heavy workload, (coughs) excuse me, (laughs) is making sure that you find the time somewhere in your day to debrief with somebody about the experiences you're having. Now, most of the time on placements, or at least this is what was happening for me, is we would have a preceptor. And then we would have our supervising nurse. And I was really lucky if I had a really busy placement or I had a really heavy, um, I guess, ward like oncology or like aged care, um, I would always have someone sort of checking in on me to be like, hey, like, how are you feeling? Um, Are you understanding everything? Um, Has anything stressful happened that you want to talk about? And that was really good at the time because... Even now, I feel in the career that we are in, not everyone understands. Like people have jobs where they work nine to five, they send a few emails, they go to a few meetings and don't get me wrong, like every job is important, Um, but not every person has the weight of someone's life on their hands and it can be really stressful as a student trying to navigate that feeling and understand how to cope with the responsibility um, and then you know transition into being a student to being the one in charge like that's a really big thing to have um, I guess a weight on your shoulders with so having someone who understands what it's like can be really beneficial to I guess, connect with and talk to. So nursing friends as well, like other nursing students can be a really, really life, a really valuable lifelong friend um, or just someone to touch base with. Like even if it's not necessarily a friend, but your preceptor or a nurse, having that person there to talk to, to bounce ideas off, to tell them how you're feeling and to get a little bit of closure and understanding can work wonders Um, and it can really make a difference into your mental health and well-being particularly when you're on placements and you're trying to learn but you're also trying to impress you know the ward you're working for and all of that sort of thing like there's a lot going on um, particularly if your placement is smack bang in the middle of assessment block and you're feeling the stress and the pressure so Highly recommend you talk with those professionals around you. Use them because obviously they have the experience there. They know what it's like. So if you're having a problem or if you have something that just seems a little bit too big to comprehend or to work through on your own, please talk to someone and make sure you talk with your family and friends about it as well. Um, I know that was something that really helped me if I did have a rough shift or if I did have you know a rough experience just to work through it, being able to talk to people about it and say, you know, this is what has happened. This is why I might be a little bit moody or a little bit upset, um, but I'm trying my best to work through it and I hope that you can help me. So please talk to people about your experiences and please seek help if they do become a little bit too much or you just want, you know, to debrief. Um, It really does make a world of difference and it's something I highly recommend. And I think for the last bit of this episode, I know it's been quite a jam-packed episode, but I guess I'll talk about some of the things that me as a nurse or as a supervising nurse will be looking for in our students when they do placements. Now, 
Don't get me wrong, I know how hard it is to be working with someone who might be a little bit bitter or who might be a really hard person to read and connect with. Um, But at the end of the day, try and understand that nurses are under a lot of pressure. And sometimes, unfortunately, having a student can sort of add to that pressure. And I'm not in any way saying that it's your fault or saying that it's an issue or whatever. Um, But what I'm saying is try to have a look at it from the other side when you do have a bitter, busy, um, you know, not really nurturing nurse and try and just be patient (laughs) because nine times out of 10, they do warm up to you and they do warm up to the idea of having you around, especially when you prove that you are helpful. Um, and I mean, nurses shouldn't be treating people nastily. Um, they shouldn't be treating you like you're just their slave. Um, you know, that's one thing that really grinds my gears, but if it is a really busy day and you notice that your nurse isn't really taking the time to talk through with things with you or to teach you, um, that's when you just need to say, Hey, like, I know you're really busy. Um, do you mind if we have a chat at the end of the shift or do you mind if, you know, we go through my expectations over this placement or, you know, just touch base with your nurse. Um, and that way they can understand what you want. They understand that you're showing initiative as well to learn because there's nothing worse than a student on placement who acts like they don't want to be there or they don't care or they act like they know everything. Us as nurses, that's like a red flag for us that you're going to be hard basically that you're going to be someone that we have to keep an eye on or someone that could potentially be dangerous if you go into placement acting like you know everything um then what's the point you know what I mean like you might as well pop on your big nurse badge and go for gold and I'm not saying this to be like oh students are so you know annoying I'm just saying that the way like your impression matters and Your vibe matters as well because nurses will feed into that um, and we will only respond accordingly, if that makes sense. So try and ask plenty of questions. You can never ask a stupid question on placement. Um, So ask as much as you need to because that also shows to us that you're willing to learn and that you're keen and you're eager because if you just come on placement and you just stand there and you're not interested at all, We're not going to really engage with that or we're going to be turned off you because nurses are passionate people. We love our jobs and we want to nurture the next generation because it's important. Like, I don't think anyone who loves their job doesn't want to teach it. Um, And, you know, if you come in and you're just not eager to learn and you just think that this is another day, another job, blah, 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 we're not going to respond to you and... That can be why you might not be getting the most that you want out of placements or you might feel that your nurse isn't really working with you and maybe it's time to, I don't know, really tap into that overexcited, overzealous (laughs) student persona. Um, But honestly, it does mean the world to us when you ask us questions and it also makes us feel good if we're teaching and we look a little bit cool doing cool shit. Um, so act like you're interested to learn, um, go out of your way to do things. Like if you know where the dirty pan room is, or you know where, um, you know, if you know where shit is, go out of your way to fetch something for your midwife or for your nurse or midwife. Um, if you know where it is or make the time to help your midwife, oh God, your midwife, your nurse out so that, you know, you're just showing that, hey, like, I know you're busy, I'm here to help, I'm here to learn, um, and I'm willing to work with you, basically, because that means the world to us too, especially when we have a patient load of, you know, however many patients, or it might be a heavy day, a busy day, whatever it may be, it's nice to know that we have someone with us that's willing to work, because trust me, when you guys leave, we fucking miss you, (laughs) especially if you've made our lives so much easier and you've shown initiative and like especially in a scenario so if we have a patient and we go through our care plan with you and we say like you know this is Stuart this time this is Stuart that time whatever don't be afraid to have a look at that plan 
and then go, hey, like, um, you know, room 16, they have obstrue now. You happy if I go and do them? I'll write them down for you, whatever the case may be. Um, that speaks volumes to us. And that's something that we really, really appreciate. And we'll be relaying back to the uni that you do really well or whatever it may be. But it's all going to make a world of difference when it comes to your assessment and to, you know, the more people you know, the better chances you have of having a job in that desired field. Even if you don't know that person, um, I mean, even if you don't want to work in that ward, knowing someone and having connections is more important than, you know, working somewhere for two weeks that you don't want to work in and making a total fuck of yourself because you didn't want to be in that ward in the first place. At least you leave there with a contact. Like if you absolutely hate the placement, you don't have a good time, um, but you try your best and you go out of your way to do your best, then you're going to leave there with a contact and with some really good people who could come in handy as references, who could come in handy as... um, I don't know, just a connection to someone else because it's not about what you know, it's who you know. And I've learned that over time, particularly through MIMP. <laughs> when people come back to me and they say, hey, um, I've applied for a job in your workplace. Can you be a reference or whatever it may be? Or can you give me some emails so I can get in contact with you know, whoever? I'm more than happy to go out of my way to do that because you know, you put in the effort. And that's important. Um, Last point I want to make is have fun. I know it is so hard to be a student. I know there's so much pressure and it's very, very overwhelming. But try and enjoy your university. Try and enjoy your classes and the people that you connect with. Um, Try and enjoy your placements as well because it goes by so quickly. And quite honestly, the best time of my life was throughout university I met so many lovely people I got to do something I loved every single day and now you know look at the payoff so sometimes I do wish I could go back and sit in classes and some of my most fondest memories are sitting in classes with my friends like being dickheads (laughs) um but you know they are it's a really lovely time um, especially when you look back over it and you think, oh God, like, I wish I would have just chilled out a little bit more than I did. Um, so yeah, highly recommend you just enjoy it and be a little bit present in the moment. Um, because before you know it, you're going to be a real nurse and yeah, it doesn't get much better than being a student with no responsibility. <laughs> Alrighty guys, I hope this episode has helped you in some way. Please head over to Midwife in My Pocket and leave a comment um, saying that you've listened or send me a DM saying that you've listened. Um, send me a picture of where you're listening from and pretty, pretty please leave a rate and review if you're listening on Apple Podcasts. If you're listening on Spotify, please follow along. Um, I am endeavoring to post more in the Facebook group. So if you're interested in joining, please come along. Um, Don't be afraid to post something in there too if it resonates with you. Alrighty, guys, I hope you have a great week. Thank you as always for listening and I'll see you next Tuesday. (laughs) Bye.